Whatever happened to that long-promised European recovery? Here's what matters. Live on the road in Los Angeles, California, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And here in the home office in New York City, I'm Robert Serenbet. And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we, the strategists at New York Life Investments, will share insights from the multi-asset solutions team, what we think matters as we manage investment solutions. Those solutions include Mainstay's Income Builder Fund, as well as individual solutions for our partners. And by sharing these perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we hope that we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of February 10, 2020. And today on our podcast, we'll be discussing the investment implications of a European economic recovery. Or lack thereof. Yeah, a a flurry of economic data has showed that growth in the major European economies isn't really, well, growing. And that's like a really big surprise to me and our team, because listeners to our show will remember that we've been talking about this potential resurgence in global growth for some time now. Yeah, we've been skeptical of that big resurgence. And new data revealed that Eurozone's economy grew just one-tenth of one percent in Q4 of 2019. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's because of a whole host of problems across major economies. But these one-off issues are starting to feel like they might not be one-off. So things like the environmental and regulatory issues in Germany caused the manufacturing slowdown, yellow vest protests, and now pension reform protests in France auto issues, there's there's always something. Not to mention the international issues on a global scale like the U.S.-China trade war and Brexit. Right, and so far these factors have weighed on growth and could continue to do that. So it's called into question the prospects for that real upswing in the region's economy. Meanwhile, though, the economic situation in the U.S. seems much better to me on a relative basis. The economy grew 2.3% last year and added a bunch of jobs over the whole course of the year and showed, like, really good resilience to the manufacturing slowdown. Right, but at the same time, U.S. valuations are relatively a lot higher than valuations in Europe, and so this is all about relative opportunities. Is Are those cheaper valuations in Europe indicative of being cheaper for a reason, or, or do they represent an opportunity? Uh, that's the key question for today. And so now it's a good time, as ever, to take our portfolio pause, a time where we... Take a time out for our investment idea for your portfolio. So we've been talking about the persistent underperformance of European equities and and why that seems to happen. What do you think? Is it it time to invest in Europe? Is it time to take advantage of those low valuations? Uh, That's a good question. The data picture is not great. But I think it's too early to completely write off a pickup in the European economy and potential equity outperformance. With many of the risks that we were watching last year off the table, uh, and now a cheaper euro, cheaper valuations than the U.S., where we're actually, as you mentioned, concerned about valuations, I think it might be a good place to be. Yeah, but I'm not sure investors are feeling the optimism needed to change the tide. Industrial production last week was a big miss. Coronavirus is, of course, pushing growth back to later in the year, and a lot of risks still hang over the economy. Uh, Those are also good points. We're clearly not going to find common ground here. So here to help us break the tie, 
we've brought in a special guest. On the line, we have portfolio manager, longtime New York Life Investments employee, and close friend, Mr. John Sweeney. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me here today. So, John, can you help us settle the debate? I hate to disappoint you both, but I think I'm going to have to follow through on King Solomon's threat to cut this baby in two. I would describe myself as being entirely indifferent toward European equities at the moment. What a curveball. <laughs> well, uh, I'm torn. On the one hand, we've identified a number of uh, compelling features to uh, the European story that suggest long-term opportunities are quite interesting. Valuations are low. Uh, we can anticipate, Christine Lagarde at the helm of the ECB, that monetary policy will be uh, highly accommodative. We've seen some structural reform, led perhaps uh, most clearly by Macron in France. So we think over many years, uh, this is an attractive place to allocate capital. But in the near term, you've got a, a host of risks that could upset the apple cart. We have to remember that Europe generally, Germany in particular, uh, these are highly mercantilist economies, meaning they're export dependent and vulnerable to a variety of factors. Coronavirus has already been raised, Brexit. Uh, we even have a potential trade tiff, I don't want to call it a war, with the U.S. Uh, so over the next couple of months, things could yet be rather choppy. I think we would advocate for a roughly agnostic posture towards Europe generally. So if someone asked you the question then, would you support holding European equities in your portfolio, you know, neutral relative to benchmark would suggest yes, right? What would you answer to that client? No, absolutely. Nothing in this certain is or nothing in this business is certain. And that being so, we're not gonna advocate for aggressive moves in either direction, overweight or underweight, but particularly when uh, there are countervailing uh, wins, then we think adopting a benchmark neutral uh, stance is altogether appropriate. That makes a lot of sense to me. As a portfolio manager, how do you go about implementing that into a fund or portfolio? Well, in the products that we administer, we have access to a variety of uh, uh, non-U.S. equity investments, and we look to distribute uh, our assets under management across that suite of products in such a fashion that they net exposure to Europe is roughly akin to uh, what it is in, in our various benchmarks. And just to put you on the spot, we've been talking about vulnerability for some time. Where can an investor go to find some assets that might be less vulnerable to the factors you were talking about? You know, that, that's very difficult as we survey the landscape today. Nothing looks inexpensive. Uh, there are really no table-pounding opportunities that we're aware of in public markets, um, and this might be a, a result of uh, many years of unconventional monetary policy that's led to a ubiquitous asset inflation. So for us, we're thinking less in terms of where do I go to find the biggest return, and instead thinking a little more about how do we protect principal in this environment. Uh, so we're, we're generally cautious, but again, nothing is certain. So we don't want to go too far in either direction. We've pulled back a little bit on risk. We do still have uh, considerable exposure to equities, and we look for areas where valuations are attractive and, and markets that maybe will be a little bit more resilient through a, a slowdown or recession. Uh, a few areas that look interesting, and again, this is over time, we're not talking weeks or months, but over quarters and years, uh, value stocks globally, 
look interesting relative to tech there's been a, a multi-year period in which growth has led the market higher and valuations have become stretched and there are new threats to that potential environment uh, energy in particular both uh, in equities and in the high yield debt space uh, might be interesting it's trading at a pretty steep discount to the broader market uh, but we have to remember too it's vulnerable to changes in dynamics and energy consumption both uh, oil and natural gas are trading very cheap right now, so that will put pressure there. And emerging markets generally look uh, attractive, but again, they're, they're going to be vulnerable to disruptions associated with the coronavirus, so the next couple of months could be a wild ride. Well, John, you didn't break our tie, but you gave us a nice Goldilocks answer, neither Lauren nor Robert, but just right, and a balanced perspective for portfolios, so thank you so much for your perspective today. Thanks, John. Always a pleasure. Before we go, here are the key things to look out for this week. We have the Democratic primaries in New Hampshire. We watch for developments in coronavirus. And we get U.S. inflation and retail sales data at the end of the week. What do you think is most important here, LG? You know, I got to say, on, on one hand, coronavirus is the known unknown, but on the other hand, we saw some volatility at the end of last week as um, rumors of more cases and further spread came back. So clearly markets are looking out for this really closely. I think there are other risks in the economy this week, but that one is one I'm going to keep a close eye on. All right. I couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you, LG. Um, I think that coronavirus is also the real risk here. But I will be watching inflation and retail sales data as it's very important for our U.S. economic outlook. Yes, it most certainly is. Well, that's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. Let us know what matters to you. If you have a question or topic of interest, hit us up on social media. That's right. You can send us your questions or highlight what matters to you all by finding us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views at nylinvestments.com forward slash blog. But until then, I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And I'm Lauren Goodwin. We look forward to hearing from you. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamontz, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I'll now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about Mainstay Funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is a service mark and name under which New York Life Investment Management LLC does business. New York Life Investments is an indirect subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company, New York, New York 10010, and provides investment advisory services and products. 
New York Life Distributors LLC is located at 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302. New York Life Distributors LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.